0: This episode of Story Comic Presents is sponsored by JanusPointPress.com. Watch out for wormholes. Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 320. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're honored to have with us the internationally celebrated and award winning children's book author and illustrator, Ashley Wolf. Perfect
1: pronunciation, Barney. Thank
0: you. See? yeah, look at that. see and it's it's exciting to talk to you and anybody that's actually watching this or listening to this, I guarantee if you have children in your home, I guarantee your bookshelf has one of Ashley's books on the shelf. it's It's interesting because some of your books at, started off as some of them you've illustrated for, some of them you wrote and illustrated for. And also some of them you've done through printmaking. Some of them you've done through watercolors. You've also done many different types of illustrations.
1: Mm -hmm. So So I started, um, after, right after I graduated from art school, I went to San Francisco and lived there for a while, but then I really had the yen to put my illustration degree to work. And so I went back to New York and um, showed some of my printmaking work and other stuff and got my first book contract. Uh,
0: and So talk to us a little bit about that. You started off doing some of your artwork um, for children's book illustrations for children, other children's books authors, correct?
1: Well, I wrote and illustrated my first book. It was called The Year okay. of Birds. And it, it did well. It, did well enough to launch my career and um I've never I've never really ne- never looked back mm-hmm. then I did uh I took a public domain piece um called the bells of London and that was my second book and then I did a book called the year of beasts which was a follow-up to *Year of birds and then I did Only the Cat Saw. So I would say out of my first four or five books, I wrote most of them.
0: And Only the Cat Saw, you wrote that when you were not living in Vermont.
1: None of the books I wrote were while I was living in Vermont. They were all after I'd moved to California.
0: And what I love about Only the Cat Saw, uh, that was one of my daughter's favorite books reading, is because it, it almost feels like it's takes place in vermont oh it totally does well
1: you know what they say barney about uh authors that their first books are always autobiography autobiographical and so my first book was a year of birds and it was largely autobiographical it had many components that were very drawn from my growing up in middlebury and then it had some imagined components of the way I, you know, the place I wish I had grown up, like I never got to ride a school bus, but the girl in the book does. And I never had a pond on my property, but she has a pond. So, you know, it's wish fulfillment. That is the artist's prerogative. We can put whatever we want in the book. And then um, only the cat saw was an idea I had while living in California, but all the research for it was done. On a farm on Munger Street in Middlebury, and I knew this lovely family. They had two little girls. I went out there and photographed their cat, their farm, their bar, their farmhouse, the children, and that's where all the material for that book came from.
0: So I'm also curious, Ashley. Is that do you come up with an idea for a book, then decide the medium you're going to use, or does that the, or do you have a medium that you want to make a book on? And then you try to try to find a topic for that.
1: For no, that. I think the, the former, um, the book, the, the idea, the story, uh, dictates the medium. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, it, it's not quite that simple because I have occasionally started a book in one medium and then realized, Oh, this isn't working. I'm going to switch. So really, um that doesn't happen often but it has
0: is there a medium that you prefer that seems to be more of a you're naturally more inclined to do a children's books on
1: well there's there are easier and harder mediums um probably okay. the easiest for me is I'm I'm a great proponent of gouache which um artists will recognize the word it's it's a French word spelled G-O-U-A-C-H a C H E G O U A C H E and it's pronounced like a g apostrophe w a s h ga wash G-A-W-A-S-H. and it's watercolor but it has a lot of pigment in it so it's more it can be used opaquely but it can also be used transparently and i started using it back in the 90s i think when i was doing some advertising, you know, surface design work and bought a set and thought, oh yeah, I'll just use this opaquely. But then I had it around and I started experimenting with it and I realized, oh, it's like watercolor, except when you, when you're done, it doesn't wash off the page. And so I have, you know, I'm, I'm the proselytizer for gouache for artists because it's really forgiving has all the same colors as Windsor Newton watercolor. And
0: um, it's the only paint you'll ever need. So some of the books that you've done, as you mentioned, you've actually wrote and illustrated and some other ones, you are the illustrator for an yeah. author. I um, tried to make a
1: living along the way there. Right. And so mostly the books that I've done for other people have been my most successful books. Mm-hmm. So I learned a little lesson there, a little fiscal lesson lesson that um, like I, I illustrated Baby Beluga by Rafi back in, I don't know, 1990, 89, yeah. still in print, still making royalties. <laughs> um, God bless Baby Beluga. So, you know, books, I mean, I don't know, most people don't really understand the economy of books, but if you are lucky enough to have a book that that stays in print and continues to sell and sell and sell, you can make royalties every year and all the work that you did was
0: 30 years ago. Those are physical pictures, right? Those aren't digital
1: No, I've never worked digitally. I mean, I I should probably, but, you know, publishers are really perfectly fine with having you deliver work on paper. Right. They scan it and they kind of enjoy it, I think, as a novelty. Right. I have a book, I just sent in a book two weeks ago that's all on paper. And yeah, there's one step in between. They're scanning it. But, you know, pixels are meant to be manipulated. And once they're created by scanning, you know, they can be manipulated by the publishers as well as by me.
0: Do you still retain the ownership of those physical illustrations? Yeah. Every author does,
1: I mean, or every illustrator, we, we own those under the, you know, Library of Congress.
0: Are you able then as a as you know running almost running your own business in this sense as an artist is that uh you're able to put those out and say like art shows or or or, or sell those illustrations as well
1: yeah it's it's funny you should bring that up because i've just been corresponding with a museum in california that has been gifted three illustrations that i did back in the 90s and they're like oh how are these done what is the medium you know where are they from and i sold a lot of my work back then and and you know it's become somewhat detached from its original source and so i've been sending them um book covers and you know more information about the medium so That's all to say that now I'm a lot less anxious to sell my work because I (laughs) I just feel like when it breaks, when a book is broken up, it loses value. Right. Even though, um, you know, the illustrations aren't always, you know, equally frameable, it's good to keep it together. So that's what I do now.
0: Oh, so you sell them all as like, uh, not as individual pieces, but as like a, a, a collection. Then. No, I, I just keep them. <laughs> oh, you just keep them. I'm not,
1: I'm not trying to profit from them at all at this point. Right. Um, but right. I am thinking about, you know, posterity and I'm thinking about places where, you know, you art illustrators and authors can donate, um, artwork to several places around the country. There's a place in Minnesota called the Curlin Collection, which um, is anxious to acquire everything like not not just artwork, but sketches and sketches and sketches and sketches and letters from your editor and letters from your art director. And those things used to be a um, a thing like I did have letters. Now I don't have letters. I don't print out my emails um so all that discussion is done entirely in cyberspace but um and then there's a place called the Degrummond which is in Mississippi and I I teach children's lit and art and design at Hollins University which is in Virginia and they're talking about trying to create an archive and you know there's a lot of artwork floating out there and I don't know where it's going. Hmm. You know, I it's grown a lot since I started.
0: Watch out for wormholes, because a good book is a wormhole, whether it's paper or pixels. Explore our artist books and chapbooks, including the winning 2022 Chataqua Janus Prize lecture at JanusPointPress.com. And sign up for news of our upcoming sci-fi sensual and literary collection event horizon this short story collection on cosmic decisions and their impact is written by award-winning author stephanie nina pizzerillos and features comics prose photography and original canvas work by an array of exciting artists visit JanusPointPress.com. So where have you seen the 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 evolution of the children's books um the world of children's books?
1: Well, I mean, I'm old enough so that when I started it was I was told that I would have to pre-separate my art. And that was in the early 80s. And I was like, "What? I have to designate where the yellow and the red and the blue are going to go and where the yellow and the red are going to overlap. And I did one spread and it was awful. And then my small like publisher called Dodd Mead finally entered, you know, the laser separation era and I was saved at the last minute. My book was laser separated. And so that was in 83 and, but they were late to the party. So, um, other people had been doing it for a long time before that. And so that happened. (laughs) And then I don't know. It was just like a small world. It seemed big to me back then, but it was really small and laser separation changed everything because you know, nobody wanted to do that hand separation. So that kind of limited the field of people who wanted to be illustrators. And once that was, a lim- you know, no longer an issue, uh, you know, the sky was the limit. You could do anything. Great. So it, it actually, you know, marked a exponential growth. Plus the right. 90s were huge and, you know, there was a lot of money around and there were a lot of kids being born. All the millennials were being born, and that, you know, drove the children's book industry. Um, not sure what's happening now. <laughs> I know that people are, you know, there's definitely a baby bust going on right now, and, you know, with good reason.
0: If, if someone's looking at wanting to get into children's book, being a children's book illustrator now, what advice would you give someone who's coming out of art school right now?
1: Hmm. Well, I teach this every summer. Um, so my big push when I'm, when I'm a professor is learn to draw, learn to draw really well. And then once you've learned to draw abstract and simplify and stylize. Hmm. So let us know subliminally that you, you know what you're doing, but then go ahead and work in your style and there are people who argue with me and say oh you know there's lots of naive styles that that just require two dots for a face and but and I you know I understand that argument but I still think that the really appealing children's book illustration is going to be quite sophisticated but disguised as
0: naive it's like the point too that you brought up in a previous interview as well it's like when it comes to writing a children's book you're supposed to be very specific with your words and not uh, how did you how did you phrase it is like um, don't make your words suppose too much when it comes to illustration there seems to be so much room for detail and allowing How important is writing a children's book or making a children's book that has the repeatable readability to it?
1: Well, that's a really good question because, you know, it's a, it's kind of a magical combo of, of, you know, text and a, and concept concept is really important. And, and then the illustrations. So um a really great example in my in my experience is say i gave you the the sentence the little white dog was wearing a red coat and i say okay barney which one of those words is really necessary and you know if you if you really work your way through them none of them are necessary <laughs> because you know they're all either nouns or verbs or adjectives. So instead you could say something like Rufus was late for his appointment. And then you don't, there's things you don't know. You don't know who's Rufus. You can probably surmise he's male, but you, you know, what is he? Is he, how he's late for which appointment? How is he going to get there? How does he feel about it? It has, so many possibilities compared to the little white dogs wearing a red coat right. and so when i work with students on writing you know i'm i'm you know take out all the adjectives take out all the adverbs and look very hard at every noun and verb and con- conjunction to see whether they're really needed or what you could right. put in instead which are Things that an illustrator can't show, like, you know, sounds and smells and feels and, um, you know, some action and emotions. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's quite an interesting art form. It's it requires brevity, but most people never see
0: the effort that goes into it. Have you actually been pro- uh, approached with a book, with a manuscript? You said, this isn't for me. Like, have you ever been able to be in that position where you said, I don't want to do this book?
1: <laughs> yeah, quite a few times. And in fact, um, the book I just finished, um, I wish I had been able to say that about. Really? Mm. <laughs> but I didn't.
0: <laughs> right. Oh, uh, have have there ever been opportunities because you say like it's uh, the children's book illustration field, the children's books, it's a, it's a, it's a really big world, but it's also pretty small. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen a book where you would say, Oh, I wish I illustrated that one. That would have been fun. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So one of the trends that I've noticed, and you know, I'm sure I'm not alone in this is that you, you write a, you illustrate a book, you either write and illustrate it or you just illustrate it and it's a big hit. And then the next five books you get are exactly the same book or, (laughs) you know, slight variations on that theme. And if you are fast and facile and um, basically don't really care about your, you know, your body of work, you do them because you know they're easy you just did those you can do them again i i am not fast that fast or hassle and i always thought "Mm, i think i might be bored doing this again so i usually turn those down but so i'm always on the search for the next new thing
0: it's in a way it's almost as you're like children's book illustrators do you also get to the point where Almost like Hollywood actors, you could get typecast. Really, oh, like, yeah, totally. Like, yeah, yeah, and and so yeah, it's this...
1: really boring. And and actors, I'm sure, feel the same way.
0: Right. So, what, what are some of the dangers that you've always felt like that you wanted to make sure that you weren't quote unquote typecast as a, uh, a specific type of illustrator? Oh, uh, cute
1: baby animals. <laughs> yeah, I'm
0: really good at those.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't want to do them over and over and over. Um I So mm, I'm trying to think if I ever So I I got rid of my second agent quite a few years ago. And I think that happens more when you have an agent because you know they're they're showing your work to art directors and the art directors know you for a certain style and subject matter. And they say, oh, i got this manuscript. It would be perfect for this illustrator because look what she's done already. And so um, I got fed up with that back in, I don't know, like 2011 and ditched my agent. And so I have been agentless ever since. And so far so good.
0: Right. So it's almost like kind of like being a free agent in that sense where you can, oh, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. And scary. It has the scary parts too. Does this give you a bit, a bit more freedom to pursue not a style, but a, like a genre of children's book that you've always wanted to do as well?
1: Yeah, but I have always done that. So right. I think I was always a frustration to my agent. I kept certain publishers and editors apart from her and, it's hard for me to describe how the business side of publishing has affected me because it's not my favorite part of it at all. You know, if I could, if I could ignore the whole selling book side, I, I would be such a happy person. And (laughs) I know that most people feel that way. I think those of, of us who have have success it's usually an unexpected success. We didn't plan this. If we'd known that this combination of love and daddy and something in the title would be a success, everyone would be doing that. Right. Um, Successes are, are, we are rare. They're weird. Um, And they are very dependent on, you know, what's happening culturally in the world and, in parenting and childhood. So who right. would have predicted Harry Potter? Who would predict where's Waldo? You know, all these things sort of come out of the blue and then right. they blow up and become huge and then they're gone. Right. And so you never know. I, right. So I never wanted to try to bank on that. I just went my own way and have had some big successes
0: and some big duds right so so talk to us (laughs) a little bit then Ashley, about like your your process i mean like um what's the day in the life of ashley wolf how does that work
1: well i've always been self-employed since i was in my 20s so i my favorite time to work is between about three and nine at night wow okay Um, for some reason mornings are a good time for me to get stuff other stuff done and then, um unfortunately, when you have children, those hours don't work you for you at all. Um, they that's when they get home from school and and you have to make dinner and then put them to bed. Right. So so I usually worked from nine to you know one and yeah. and also in the morning. Um, I always lived in a house or an apartment in San Francisco. I had a dog. And I had two little boys who went to school and yeah, I got a lot done. I don't know how. (laughs) Um, You made made time. It's the ADD. You know, you just like, I, you know, if you were to look at my desk right now, Barney, you'd be kind of, you might be a little shocked because I have a lot of different things going on and that's normal. I don't, I don't sit and work on one project. I have maybe four or five.
0: So so Ashley, if people want to, you know, learn more about your books and learn more about you, where's the best place they could go to?
1: Well, I have a website, um, AshleyWolf.com. Cause way back, you know, I've, i I snagged that name and nobody else <laughs> has wanted it. Imagine. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and um and I am active on Instagram and Facebook. Um, although pretty much just for fun, right. you know, I don't, I don't, I have an Etsy shop, so I've had that for a long time and yeah, I sell a lot of stuff through that, mostly prints and, you know, not a whole lot of originals, but, um, yeah, like that. Um, I thought, I'm not. I'm not super prolific when it comes to publicity.
0: Hmm. Um,
1: I don't, I I know that it's important, but I don't prioritize it.
0: Going to your Etsy shop. So it's etsy.com backslash shop backslash Ashley Wolf art.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're able to get some amazing pieces of artwork from an award-winning children's book illustrator. Absolutely. For those folks that might have, um, somebody that might appreciate her style of art. This is gonna be a great Christmas present. Um, it's it's amazing. Look at that. And you get a lot of stuff here for sale. Yeah, because I'm I'm really um restless and I'm always
1: creating stuff. Oh yeah. So last year, on January first, I got this crazy idea to do a year of birds. And my first book was called A Year of Birds, and it was published in 83. And I thought, um, all right, for 2022, I'm going to do A Year of Birds. Oh, my God, it broke my neck. But I did it. I did 365 paintings of birds. Wow. Yeah. It was really something. I, you know, I was obsessed with that. Right. But I don't think I would do that again um it was just too much it just drove everything else out of my life (laughs) i divided it up into themes by month and um you know i had some really some really cool themes
0: check out yeah go to AshleyWolf.com and there you can you like a you have the link to your instagram page a link to all your books um and also checking out um going to your shop there that has your link to your your Etsy page as well. Wow, that is a lot of out, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing.
1: But you know, there's some birds here that are not you know customer favorites. They're a little bit more obscure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so um, all the easy no, ones, beautiful,
0: are right?
1: I'm a printmaker. You can see that I do um, linoleum block prints. I've always done that. Many of my books have been illustrated with um, linoleum block prints. Wow. And I sometimes teach online. I'm teaching a class right now on called Kitchen Table Printmaking, where I have a bunch of students who are all over the country, and they're learning to do linoleum block prints. Wow. And um, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, right. COVID gave us some silver linings gave right. us zoom and you know remote teaching
0: yeah yeah you got your Bindig miss binda garden got some miss
1: yep. stuff in there
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, right. i'm a kind Beautiful. of a poly fanatic
0: well listen actually this was a genuine pleasure and it's been uh uh this has been a i've been excited to talk to you for a while now ever since i've been you know having all of your children's books around around the house so i'm yeah.
1: glad you do I'm glad yeah. my you have a kid who's still in my uh, zone, all right. Well, thank
0: you so much, Ashley,
1: Barney. It's been my pleasure. it's uh, It's really fun to discover you. Coming back to Vermont has been, you know, a great reunion with my past. And I'm happy to be here and to stay here.
0: um I, I had somebody on that was a um he's our professor on a couple of, and he talked about the two types of artists are the uh um the octopus and the phoenix oh if you heard that no so the octopus is somebody that just does a lot of things out like does a little things all the time and just does this and then there's this and then does this and so it's always doing something and then the phoenix is someone that just concentrates on one thing intently oh. Until the products, the project's over, and then just like blows up, basically and just is like is reborn, and then just and like it's comp- you have to be reborn, so you're just basically just not doing anything until you get your energy again and did, did that. So yeah. that's
1: so interesting. So was there any indication of which is more common?
0: he said he always worked as a, you know, as an art professor, he's always been the octopus, but he had, but he couldn't work on this one project. He had to concentrate on this one project. So he actually just, he forced himself to be a Phoenix and Mm. just only do that one thing Mm. until he was entire, until he finished it. And he was entirely, he was creatively exhausted for months afterward until he can't even imagine. Right.
1: Yeah, no, I am. I'm octopus all the way yeah <laughs> absolutely i've never i can't even imagine being a phoenix right. it's totally yeah.
0: foreign to me yeah <laughs> i would be so bored being a phoenix i know see you, you gotta there's something about the fact that you're able to just like do a lot of things at once just to kind of you know well then eventually yeah. things get done
1: yeah. yeah and and i do but i do think that it's um especially in illustration it's actually an advantage to be a phoenix because or at least to have those qualities and be able to be um consistent in your style so that everyone can say oh yeah you know he she did that and i've never had that ability i've always been like okay i'm gonna try this book in this style and this book in this style and um I would be too bored if I had to do two books in a row that were the same style. And yeah, yeah. it's
0: it's a frustrating condition. Right? Yeah. All right, Ashley, let me uh, let me read the intro and then we'll go into it. So